Welcome, Welcome to, to the Hoovian Review. Review. Welcome to the Hoovian Review. I'm Shelby. I'm Colin. I'm Jace. Hi. That's Carl. <laughs> and this is the Whovian Review. Review. If you couldn't tell. <laughs> Tonight we're going to dive into the episode known as Midnight. And this is the first time we've podcasted on it. And I must say, ladies and gentlemen and variations thereupon was a really wonderful way of introducing everybody to the Midnight Bus. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I, I would have just gone with humans, but then it wouldn't have cl- included the doctor, and we would have needed just more variations upon. Yeah, why doesn't everyone say that? Honestly, especially in this day and age. Or you could always use like colloquial folks, your guys, pals, friends, <laughs> humans, Orbs. humans. The uh, plus, we don't know who else was non-humanoid there. They just were humanoids. Or non-human, I should that, that, That's true. Well, feasibly, we, we see another, you know, non-anthropomorphic consciousness come into the world, although through anthropomorphic means eventually. But, you know, maybe there are other conscious creatures on that on that train. You know, maybe some Vashna Harada, you know, or whatever, you know, creeping around in the shadows. <laughs> you mean that's Vash- the origin. That's exactly what I know. Um, did, was it ever explained where Donna was? She just like on a vacation. She, she was she was sunbathing at the Leisure Palace, and that's where the doctor was heading towards. No, that's where he was heading from. Like he was oh, like went on a round trip to go see the Sapphire Waterfall, mm-hmm. and she was like, "I don't want to sit on a bus for eight hours. <laughs> Screw uh-huh. that! It's like four hours there, four hours back. I'm not doing that. I'm going to stay here and sunbathe." So yeah. I'm assuming he never made it to the. Yeah. Of course, this makes this a very doctor centric. Story, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Donna was really in it. But interestingly enough, kind of. I think that this was one of the rare instances where the doctor is extremely vulnerable and cannot do anything to solve the problem. It's one of the first times I've saw I've seen the doctor like genuinely challenged because typically you go in, he's the doctor, everyone trusts him, but they almost killed the dude right after questioning who he thinks he is. That's true. Everything that the doctor tries to put forth is kind of knocked down by the group, and he's really just saved in the end by another group member that's outside of his control that was advocating for things that he was against as well. I mean, what I thought was just so interesting was the more so just the creature and how it evolved because it watched the group and it saw like first it was just kind of copying getting a feel for the thing and then it was very clearly like noticed hey these guys are all grouping together being against me but they're also kind of against this other guy if i target that guy i can make them throw him out and leave me alone like i mean that was you know genius it was genius i think the genius also lies in the fact that it evolved from copying to saying the same thing at the same time to eventually saying it beforehand yeah so for that like how do like 
is that supposed to be that it's got some sort of weird relationship with time that it can twist things like that? Is that like it was taking over brains? Or it already, or it had a very strong telepathic ability that it could read what people were going to say and was able to say it at the same time. Yeah, it and seems then, like it was linking up with it. people, and then you know, it, you know, it says like, you know, what I thought was some of the most interesting lines was when it started speaking in front, and it's like, oh, I am speaking in front now. Yeah, it is what's happening. It's almost like at that point, it's gaining some sort of new level of consciousness awareness like i am moving i am my own thing but it really seems like they're making like some really strong connection with other people and almost feeding off of them and you know they were behind like in the, a follower situation and then you know they overpass it so it, it is almost like a mind control thing at that point in time notice how it also um targeted the doctor right after he said you need me yeah definitely I think it was more so because everyone was saying very clearly, we don't need you. Let's get rid of this guy. <laughs> yeah, but I think it was the one that recognized he was clever. Yeah, <laughs> and so it could absorb more more information from him. Or it could annihilate a threat. Yeah. Two birds with one stone. Yeah. Oh, birds. <laughs> I must say that this had a very awesome cast ensemble. We had, of course, Colin Morgan... As Jethro from Merlin. And David Troughton, who is Patrick Troughton's son, played Professor Hobbs. Huh. And, really? Um, yep. And uh, I, I really love the actress who plays Dee Dee. She was amazing. Oh, she was She great. was my favorite character and the hostess, of course. Was she like famous. a, you know, train kind of flight attendant? No, no, no. no. She, she was the um, assistant to the professor who, like, knew everything all the time and, like, figured everything out. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although Jethro was an amazing character. Yeah, well... I relate even, the most to him. Even his parents were well-acted, though, because they, oh, yeah. they were really... Well, I mean, they were very mom and dad-like. And well, the, yeah, but, I mean, they were there to be the characters that were, like, the most normal out of the group. Except for, I guess, Mrs. Silvestri, Silvestri also, except for she, you know, became the, the villain very quickly. Which was also messed up, because you could tell that this kid is, like, your stereotypical, like, emo scene kid, and the, the parents are just the thing. People being like, shut up, you don't matter, and it's just like, why would you say that to your child? Yeah, it was the tip Typical Karen and maybe redneck par- uh, parents that that had a kid and then the kid was rebellious. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I mean, the parents I, I, were just I, awful. Well, I, th- I think it was just, I think it was very clear that, you know, why Jethro was behaving the way he was. He was using a direct rebellion against every way in which his parents were. And, and I think he was that, also the most empathetic, too. Oh, for sure. Especially but towards the end. I could kind of see how they would get, you know, a little annoyed when they're like, clearly, I know for a fact that my child is doing this specifically despite me and not for any other reason. Yeah, and I don't know if that's true. I, I think you're like, he really was his own person. Well, yeah, but you, you see, can see that that's what they were thinking. Yeah, maybe they were thinking from his perspective, but in his perspective, he's like, oh yeah, he I was don't so empathetic, kill. and he was great. He was actually like pretty intelligent, and super were, intuitive, also. Oh, and I think there I were mean, times yeah. too when he was like, no, I, I might agree with my parents here, yeah. too, in the conversation. So I don't think it was simply him going against his parents or going with his parents. He just I, could I think, think it was for himself. Yeah, right, and that's and, a and problem I, for parents. And I, yeah, that's what <laughs> I think it was. I think his parents were ready to. Let him let him be his own person. Also, is no one going to talk about what we saw on the screen? Rose, what? yeah, yeah, Rose screaming, "Doctor!" on the screen. I thought he him. was screaming, "Donna!" 
Do- it, no, it, it looks doctor. like doctor. 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 doctor, Donna. Doctor. That's so weird, though. Like, I mean, usually throughout Doctor Who, because I've seen more of, like, a later Who um, than I have, like, at the beginning of Who, you don't see this much overlap by companions. Well, and to be fair, we've been seeing her throughout this series. Uh, she kind of, like, haunting David Tennant, essentially. Uh, in a sense, or something. Or Donna. Donna. <laughs> Because well, she, she showed up to haunt uh, Donna earlier. Well, she yeah. was a problem when Martha was around. Like yeah, this just seems true. to be like a tenant-related like can't get over. That's true. Her. I don't know if it's a haunting, like a malicious thing. Like she might not be a big bad wolf. Oh no! Well, you know, like being there without being there, kind of. I don't know. And poor driver Joe and mechanic Claude. They, yeah, they were. They actually got into trouble. The worst possible way for actually looking out onto the surface of the Well, planet. and Claude was the only one who actually ever saw the midnight creature. Yeah, this is true. I mean, yeah. Jotter's parents claimed to, but it was clear they were lying. I wish he could have survived and been in the cabin with everyone. Like, he had to go back for something or whatever. Yeah. So I guess the moral of the story is... Don't be curious. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't take out an adventure into unknown places. Don't listen stay, to the doctor. Stay at the leisure palace. Yeah, or, or if you have to go somewhere, take your TARDIS instead of deciding to sit on a bus with people for eight hours. Well, maybe the he doctor... He wanted to talk and socialize. I know, yeah. and that was kind of cute. It was. He was like, let me just like talk to people, know what's going on, and stay hip and fresh. Well, yeah, I think that was it. He was like, I'm taking a vacation. You can go sunbathe. I'm going to talk to total strangers because that is how I relax. Exactly, and how he learned. Yeah, although he doesn't seem to be having any fun until everything went wrong. <laughs> but he and, did. And of course, but he it, was though. Of course, it targeted the gay one. <laughs> I didn't pick that I, up. Actually, you know, yeah, you know what I felt gay. like. You, she had a. She had. She, she said had a wife. she. Yeah. When yeah. she referred oh, to her ex. Yeah, she was talking. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, then. but I, I thought it was more so that they they targeted like clearly the most creepy one, <laughs> and she was also then like kind of know it all super air. Well, everyone there was, but she yeah. just well, but I mean, like I think they targeted the actress just, that had, had the best potential <laughs> to have this, you know, crazy eyes. It was her oh, eye makeup. Yeah, yeah, yeah her eye makeup. Amazing, sure. amazing actress for that role. And the and how the way do you she... keep those eyes, your eyes open for that long? It takes a lot of practice, but she also had to practice a I lot know. with David Tennant, I'm sure, because oh, the, yeah. to get those scenes perfect where she's repeating. Yeah, I mean, well, you have to practice a lot to be able to sync up with someone exactly that way, and then to go, you know, start speaking before them. I mean, but Nancy, and, did, and did they take like most of this episode? Was it all done in one take? Because like there weren't scene breaks through like half of it. Yeah, no, there really weren't very many scene breaks. I'm, I didn't I, notice. And that. there was like like they they had to like repeat, you know, the square root of pi to like the 18th decimal or something and like you know went through a whole series of like things and everyone was talking and she had to follow them all at the same time and wow. it was like for like half of the episode and there were no breaks no transitions it was all just in the one room I mean you can do that with with the photography but sure, David but Tennant and and the actress uh, Leslie Sharp who played Sky were really on par with this episode. It just goes to show how well the writing was, too. Oh, yeah. they were able to take that script that Russell T. Davies did. And a lot of people say this is his best script that he's ever had. Um, it was very original. Very unusual. Brilliant. Yeah, honestly, I think the hallmark of great writing is to see what you can do when you just put a bunch of people in a room and you just have them talk for the whole episode. And, it, and if it can be gripping and compelling, that that's a great... 
uh, that's a great feat of writing. Like I think back to things like you know Twelve Angry Men, or you know we saw this thing me and Shelby, the Man from Earth, man from Earth where it really is you know ten or twelve people in a room having a conversation about something that's happening, but it's still so gripping. It really makes me kind of hate people a little bit, or just see like the stereotypical gender roles coming out where all the men are just like super high energy. This is my wife. You don't know anything, and it just creates like this really toxic. Oh, well, I think that it's very clear that. People fall into specific roles when they're scared. Oh, of you course. Know? It and, goes back and to, like, so, like I think, you know, I, Yeah, evolution. I think it is a, a gender role thing is that it's sort of, like, ingrained just culturally as well as evolutionarily that I, I men are supposed to be protecting the women. That's so. because that's what they biologically, like, have always done. Right. And I think that was where it really came out the most. You see where... Um, you know, Jethro's dad at one point was like, Professor, are you a man? Help me kill this guy, because yeah. that's what men do. Like, yeah. That's when it really got to be like, you know, kind of implications of gender roles on it. But, but it makes also, sense. It's like a fight or flight situation. But, but then the hostess was the most willing to kill someone from like the very start. She was, the mo- first of all, the most upset about the two people who died, and then the one who was immediately like, we could throw her out, and then she's like, I'd throw out her, I'd throw out the doctor. I'd but she was also whoever. acting from a point of anger. And when she had time to calm down, that's when, like, her emotions came out. Was well, like, and she saved right. the day, but it's just, like, I'm, I'm just saying that it, that was a counter to general gender stereotypes to mm-hmm. have a woman be, like, the most bloodthirsty of the lot. I yeah. think we have to remember that the entity that ended up in Sky also was inside the heads of everybody else. Because she even, Sky even says, don't you feel him in your head that's really the entity that's in sky that's in their heads and influencing their their fear and influencing their decisions on what they're doing which i think is kind of scary too so it may have actually exacerbated certain roles that each person played would be my guess I also really liked how they purposely just never decided to unveil what that was and just left it like well that happened well, I think it was more of, it's not worth looking into this further. It was more just, we're going to screw this episode up if we try to, like, explain what that was. Oh, and they would have. I really appreciate that, too. You know, there's something dark and mysterious about the universe. It's places where no one has apparently been. What lurks there? What, what lurks behind mm-hmm. your eyes when you're not looking? Could this uh, feature be walking into your life during your job, during the end of a school day. Yeah, when the know. professor was like trying to be like, no one can survive out here and the doctor was like, oh, look at you, mister I know everything about the universe kind right. of thing. You know everything about every, you know, absolutist definition of life. Exactly. I'm going to put out a shout to shout out for Murray Gold's soundtrack. I, I don't think it can even, it's not just music, it was just more the atmosphere that he created with this made this probably more intense than it would have been if you had nothing. Murray. Um, yeah, it was... I When I first saw this episode, it was it was absolutely the most intense episode of anything I had seen yet. But I think yeah, that was had more to do with Russell T. Davis's writing than with Murray Gold's music. Yeah, I think I'm, it was a combination of it, both. It's, it's a complex variable of equations, you know, and, and such. But, yeah, like, what I felt was, like, just a mood for me it was, like... Stop talking! Like, I just wanted to yell at everybody, stop talking right now, because that's the point, you know? Well, like, and the doctor even didn't, it didn't Right, work. he did, and everybody kept going, and the doctor even kept going and kept going. Yeah, I, I would not be able to stand that kind of environment. I would let myself out that damn bus if I was dealing with all those people. <laughs> it, it, would you, the, out of that? To turn to dust? Yes. Well, yes. I, I don't like yelling. Every time Michael has any amount of road rage, even small, I get, like, You turn into dust? 
Yeah. <laughs> I turned it down. You literally you know, open the door and jump out. Roll out. That would be safer than jumping out of that midnight bus. You know what? Sometimes I need to die because I don't like hearing people. But anyways. But yeah, it was just very difficult to like hear that and see all the bickering and fighting and like, let's kill this person. Let's commit murder. Doctor, you're stupid. And they almost killed the dude. And could you imagine how they felt when they realized he was right? Oh, man, the looks on their faces. They were just completely, like, destroyed They were inside. priceless. Well, oh, they said it was her. Oh, yeah, that that was <laughs> oof. The doctor was probably like, I was able to hear everything. Yeah. By the way, I should let you know that this episode was also directed by Alice Troughton, who actually um, is not related to any of the Troughtons, but I just thought I'd point that out. It sounds like it's part of the Troughton dynasty, <laughs> regardless. She's not related to Patrick Troughton or David, but I think... Yes. <laughs> yes. Not yet. <laughs> but she... I. I think she she do, probably was a good pick for all this talk in in this confined space. What's her history? Her history? I don't know. She I know she worked on Torchwood and other Doctor Who episodes. I mean, she okay. obviously did a phenomenal job with this episode. Oh, yes. yes. She did. She definitely really did. Good. Um, yeah. Although, I don't know, to be honest, like, and, and I could, like, you know, school me if I'm wrong, but... If you're a bunch of people talking in one room, do you really need great directing? Yes. Like, how much? Yes, you need great directing so much more in that situation. Yeah, you need yeah. someone to, like, guide yeah. or else it's just, like, complete mayhem. And I'm talking from, like, even just a manager perspective when everyone's fighting. You just okay. kind of need to stand on the table and be like, listen. Oh, she also directed Merlin and also The Doctor's Daughter. Ah, so she's worked with Jethro before. Yeah, that would explain why we had Jethro. Yeah, but for, for the direction, what it is is that you need to be able to have the the room be staged in such a way that it's interesting. You don't have big blank spaces, but then you also are keeping the action moving and having them, you know, move to other parts of the bus, having, you know, the separation, showing the camera on one person's face versus another at different times. All of that stuff is so integral to keeping the episode gripping when people are just mm-hmm. talking. But don't you have elements of that, you know, throughout just about every Doctor Who episode with a lot of other stuff that takes another dimension of directing. Well, a lot of the other things in the plot line, it's like, it's natural. It might even be written in the script of the characters have to run down this hall because they have to get from room A to room B. So the running down the hall is pretty much, you know, granted. But if you're all sitting on a bus, you have to keep... You know, the visuals appealing, even though everyone's just sitting there. Speaking of visuals, the visuals at the beginning where it showed, like, the the whole, the pool-ish area where Donna was sunbathing, and then the the huge win- window on the roof, that was a really nice scene. That was. It's gorgeous. Yeah, and just seeing, like, the, the planet, too, as they rise things up and see the sun shining on this diamond world. And then you Beautiful. go to, to, like, the United States, drive over a bridge and, like, let's say throw Baltimore out there. It's all just smoke. No, I, I think, you know, the smoke, I think, is less horrifying than seeing the McDonald's, the KFC, the Holiday Inn, and going to the next exit and seeing the same things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're going to bring me into a whole new crisis with that. Sorry. <laughs> Is is this the second time we've had a planet or moon lost? Because 
I know Dee Dee did a whole paper on the lost moon of Poosh. It's certainly not. No, it, it's at least the third time because we had the adipose breeding grounds. Oh, yes. That were removed. We had the home of the pyrovale in uh, Fires of Pompeii. And then Clom was Clom, another. Clom, yeah. Okay, was so. Lost. We've got um, a lot of lost that's planets. The, <laughs> that's the one from um, Love and Monsters, the Absorbaloff guys from there. Yeah. Well, the thing about lost planets, episode. they can always be found. Tell that to Gallup, right? I will. Again and again. Gallifrey, you can be found. <laughs> I know. We need that like on a shirt. I like how I like how at the very beginning she goes around saying um, what all the different media outlets are, and then she talks about the food, and she says, "And some things may contain pe- may contain nuts." And of As, course, the doctor says, yeah. "Oh, you mean peanuts?" Yeah, this is also they the, are legumes. <laughs> they are really, yeah. Uh, but um, this is the first time he explains Alonzi. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that moment when she realized that it was him when Mont he said that, it was like, yeah. I was like oh nobody says Montebene. No one says Alonzi. <laughs> yeah, when he said when he said when she said Alonzi, and she just lit up and was like, "I'm gonna die." Like, how do you? That's crazy. Oh she literally so, took her life for his. So much respect, too. Because honestly, like, she was my least favorite character. Like, I felt like she was Same. coming from a place of misplaced authority. Yes. And she was making all the wrong moves. But she was willing to sacrifice her life for the safety of everybody there. And, and we no one even her name. name. And props. I love you, Shelby. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, too, James. She had some redemption. Aww. You're so cool. Love doves. I'm always cold. Although it is interesting that that would have been important to the doctor who never shares his name with anyone. This is true. This is true. Although he did say he was John Smith. Mm. And they saw through that super quick. It's a nod back to the eighth and third Doctor errors. I think he's, yeah, he's used a lot of... Well, mostly just the third. I mean, it. the eighth Doctor used it in the TV movie. The fourth Doctor never was John Smith. I don't think the fifth or the sixth used it. Did any doctors after him use that? Uh, uh, well, like I said, the eighth doctor did. Um, I, after Tennant, I think I, the eleventh doctor does it. Yeah, I think I, I think, think some. I think too. Capaldi might have used John Smith. I love too. to see Jody use that one. <laughs> yeah, she'd have to be Jane Smith, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of names, I wonder um, how much they would have to pressure him in order for him to actually reveal his real name. Oh, that won't happen. That'll never happen unless you're River. True. D cubed sigma x squared. Obviously. <laughs> well, that's a name. We don't know if that is the name. It's said in the Doctor Who magazine in parentheses. The Doctor parentheses real name. Well, <laughs> yeah, the canon. I don't know if that's canon. It but. is canon. It was a BBC Doctor Who magazine. It's officially considered canon. Uh. Hmm. Anyway, should we maybe rate this now? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. First of all, does anyone have anything bad to say about this episode? Oh, I have some bad. Yeah, go for Actually, it. Actually, no, I don't have bad. I'll shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Sorry. I think I'm good. I'll save what my two cents is for my um, review. In that case, we'll launch into ratings, and I will take it upon myself to rate first. I know everyone was really pumped up about my final rating last time, and <laughs> I, I don't want to put down our audience in, in the suspense building, but I want to give you what you want right now in terms of my rating. That's your husband. Wow. <laughs> so, 
God, this is like the doctor on the bus. Just like, what? <laughs> I'm more clever than all of you. And we're all like, uh-huh. Okay. I am not saying this. I'm not saying this. I'm just saying that I'm great. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying this, but... I'm glad that you have an ego. No, I'm just having I'm glad fun. That you I exist. love all of you guys. And I think you all contribute a lot of things to the podcast that I think are better than me in a lot of ways and dimensions. But... Um, even me, I barely contribute. Even you, Carl. All, per- all perspectives are valid on this podcast, and you can't take one. Beauty in it. But but coming back to this rating, let's all synthesize it here. This was this was objectively a good episode. We we agree it has good writing. We have good plot. I, I come back to my you know central thesis that it's a great episode because it it holds up just with concepts and ideas rather than flashiness, rather than the CGI. You know, you can tell a great story without any, um, you know, extravagant backgrounds, without any extravagant effects. You can just have a concept that you have multiple people in a a room talking and discussing over. And I think you have a fantastic monster of the week that brings mystery, intrigue, and definite, definite fear into the situation. There's a lot of great things to say about this episode. When it comes to saying um, bad things about this episode, I I do feel like I'm largely at a loss. But I think if there's anything bad that I can say, that that really there's just opportunities for it to be better. There are higher peaks in Doctor Who. There are bigger moments. There are things that connect to the greater plot that really emphasize a greater story arc. And this one is a standalone episode. It's a fantastic standalone episode. Um, but I do think there are factors and features that I'm sometimes looking for in Doctor Who that, that were absent from here. But by all means, this is fantastic. I think it's a great story. For me, this is getting a 9 out of 10. Okay, I will go next. Um, I think when I first started dating Michael, this was one of the first episodes, if not maybe the first epi- episode that he showed me of Doctor Who. Like, I watched Doctor Who prior to seeing him, but... Not as intensely as I do now. Clearly, I'm on a Hoven Review podcast for crying out loud. But, um, I did like this episode. How... What was that, Michael? I just laughed. <laughs> Stupidly, but okay. Um, <laughs> I've turned you. <laughs> don't get carried away. Anyways. So, I did like this episode. However... It didn't blow me away as much as other episodes have. Like, I think in the last two episodes of Doctor Who, I rated them tens. I don't remember, though, exactly. Um, I thought this episode was good. However, it was it's not, like, probably in my, my favorites. Like, I liked how there was... I actually loved how there was a monster that was never explained. I feel like a lot of Doctor Who episodes go wrong once you try to explain something that usually you need to devote an entire other episode to explain or it just turns out to sound stupid once you get get into it so much there's magic in the mystery so that's something i absolutely loved about this episode i loved how the tables were turned i loved how suddenly the doctor was the victim and he was right all the way around and his whole point was we are not murdering anybody this thing this is what it's going to do and he literally almost died that was intense super dark and it was one of those episodes that literally just existed in one room. Kind of like the first episode um, movie of Saw, you know? And that's one of their biggest movies. However, I don't know. I don't feel right giving it a 9 or a 10. I think it was a great episode. I love how they challenged the Doctor. 
I hope that kind of gets not addressed, but touched on a little bit later, like the doctor's authority, because usually the doctor swoops in and he's in charge of everything. Everyone believes him. But in this case, that didn't happen. So that was interesting. I think this was a very important episode. However, I think I'm probably going to give this a seven. Weirdly enough, I don't know. It's the second time viewing it. I just, I, I'm, I don't know. I wasn't like blown away, but I still think it's good and it was important. I'll stay there. All right, I'm going to go next. Okay. I was blown away by this episode. Good for you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I, I think that it's very rare, especially in Do Who, that we have a situation where the, like, universal stakes are relatively low, but the stakes for the Doctor are, like, skyrocket high. You know, he's, like, truly nearly dies in this episode and yet it's not you know saving a galaxy or a planet or you know thousands of civilizations or anything but killing the doctor kind of does that well it does and it's just sort of you know adds a, a new kind of um emotional stakes to the situation that isn't generally explored in it um and i think that all of the acting was great i thought the writing was phenomenal like so well written I thought the directing was good the music all of it really was just executed brilliantly I thought um that this was an extremely like creepy and dark episode that like you know is much more touches towards horror than a lot of the other ones and it was it, it is extremely poignant and uh thought-provoking I also liked that they didn't explain the creature I felt like they gave enough of an explanation enough of an insight that we weren't sitting there going like wait what was that <laughs> it you know it was very clear what th was frightened about it what was dangerous about it what it was capable of at least to an extent and um I think those are really the important elements of it I am actually going to give this one a 10 out of 10 Carl, what did you think? Well, my my description will not be as extensive as all, all of y'all. That's okay. That's fine. Um, but um, the the first couple of times I watched it, I was like a wee little child, so I would actually get nightmares from it because it was very horror based, N not like. like compared to all the other Doctor Who episodes I'd watch as a kid. So I would just be scared by it, especially when the music was there and all the banging. Um, but watching it again, like, of course I'm older and I'm grow I've grown out of being spooked by it, but, like, it still has that kind of horror essence to it. And, the f and what makes it even scarier is it it's, it's in a kind of a normal setting where you're in like a public area with um people and like it just could happen anywhere um but like there are some things I really don't like about it because it kind of triggers my autism and that it's just the loud um no, the the loud voices all like clashing together and just causing like just stress in general like I would not be able to survive that environment I would just like 
yeet myself out of there. Um, <laughs> but overall, it is a pretty good episode. I, I guess I just, uh, I guess I'll give it an eight. I do love the fact that Colin Morgan is there because I did used to have a really huge crush on him. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I give it an eight. Noted. This is the epitome of a psychological horror. And very rare in Doctor Who's history have we had ones as intense as this one. And I don't think it's been matched ever since. Um, it's also a very unusual plotline because I don't think I've ever seen an episode that dealt with this kind of an alien menace in any sci-fi that we don't know anything about it. It doesn't know anything about us, and it replicates our speech patterns and then learns how to say things at the exact same time. That evolutionary process, I'd be, I'd be very curious to know if that actually exists in any other uh, drama anywhere. Um, but that said, there really is no fault that I can find in this episode. It's, it stands out as Russell T. Davies' finest writing. It also stands out um, in terms of the scariest, at least psychologically it's the scariest, of, of all of the ones that I've seen. Um, this gets, without a doubt, a 10 out of 10. And there's nothing less that... Can I say that? Sure. I kind of feel bad that I don't feel the same way that everyone else feels about this episode, but, like, it was very... It, it was kind of horror It was creepy. There's a situation where we didn't know what was happening. I don't know what my point was. No, but I, I feel like I relate to it already. Because oftentimes I'm rating where I feel like coming from some sort of objective analysis space, you know, th this should be in, in many respects a perfect episode. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't draw out the emotional reaction that I feel like a perfect episode should. Exactly. And I think that was the problem we had during, I forgot, an episode, a podcast we did one or two episodes back where I gave it a high rating and you were like, it didn't blow me away wasn't the best thing in the world. It was good, but it just didn't speak to me. I think yeah. that's my problem. I always find that like as a, a challenge just as a Whovian reviewer because like it's also very biased in a place like it probably has to do with a lot of like how I was feeling that day that I watched it, you know, what place I was, what setting I was. Um, because I think so much, you know, of that is influential. But regardless, it does seem like there are some episodes that, you know, are constructed well. I can't find any like true flaws with them, but – I do find other stories that resonate with me that I have higher emotional peaks with that I end up valuing more. And there's nothing wrong with that because you two have different opinions from pretty much every anybody else that's in the world. Yeah, so and different and those, tastes. Like and they, I watch yeah. horror movies for a, not for a living, but all the time. <laughs> I well, wish get, I could for a living. That'd be a great job. Let me watch all the horror movies. Right. I mean, yeah. some people have that job. There, there are real critics that get paid to do this, and I always wonder how much. You know, they they take their own emotional connection and their bias into play in their writings, and how much they try and throw that out the window when they when they write their reviews. Mm -hmm. Be the next Leonard Moulton, yeah. <laughs> and on the Meta Whovian review. <laughs> well, I mean, I think also this episode did have some elements that were distinctly different, like kind of the running theme through all of Doctor Who is that if you're, you know, good and kind and intelligent, you can work your way out of any of these problems. And then we saw the Doctor, like, 
epically failed to work his way out of this problem, he had to be rescued. By granted, someone who was intelligent and worked it out, Mm -hmm. but, you know, at the same time, it was, you know... It almost seemed like luck that he got out of the situation rather than him using his brain to figure it out. And so I think that, you know, in seeing that, it it might just kind of, you know, not soar above the others. Yeah, I mean, really, in that moralistic message, like, it almost seems like his brain really worked against it, made him a target of enemy, of the enemy. It also, like, drew a lot of suspicion from other characters in the situation. I would point out, though, that he, he did actually use his brain because it shows how powerful he was. He was able to reverse what the alien was doing to him and get his voice back into the alien, which then triggered the hostess to I remember. I don't who think was. that's what. I don't think that's what happened either. That seemed like she, luck on his part. She, I don't think that was no, no, she was only saying Multibene and, and Alonzi because that's what the doctor was thinking. Not what she was thinking. I thought that was basically her becoming the doctor, yeah. stealing his voice. She, she stole his voice. His and his way speech patterns. Yeah, yeah, that, that's how she, I Yeah, she stole his yeah. speech patterns. It wasn't, he wasn't making her say that. Yeah, like imagine like something happened to you and that situation happened between us. If you heard Michael cursing as much as I do, would you like... I would be think, very surprised and think something's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but you wouldn't think Michael that I wasn't like dialect. the victim there. Yeah. Unless you were, like, possessed or something. I can see that. It's just that when I... I guess my take on it was just that you see the doctor struggling at that moment. He's he's concentrating so hard, and he, you can see the fear in his face... That was hard they, to watch. ...when they say, we're going to kill him. And my... That's how I took it, was that he was actually channeling his thoughts back to her, which is what made her think to say those things. I... I, I mean, I can understand where you guys are coming from, and, and that makes sense. But that's that's how I interpreted it. I, just think I, get it. I, I saw that emotion, but I saw that emotion like consistently as soon as he was kind of taken over. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. It was like, like I'm trapped. I need help. I don't know what to do. Yeah, it was like a, a thing of like fear, like I am helpless, kind of. Right. Then it then it really seemed like I'm really fighting against this to make this message into this other creature. Could be. But the only other time that we ever actually saw the Doctor this vulnerable or this completely useless, in a sense, was probably the Caves of Androzani. Where what the doctor, doctor was that? That was the fifth Doctor, his last story. He basically had no control over anything that was happening, and he also ended up with... Uh, po- he was poisoned. He, both him and Perry were both poisoned in the episode. So he's his health is declining. He has no say as to what's going on. He's being thrown back and forth as prisoner between all these factions, and he can't really do anything. Well, I don't know that I agree with that because he gave... He does achieve, like, getting an antidote, and he just chooses to give it to Perry instead of taking it himself, which is a choice. That wasn't him being helpless. That was him making a conscious well, choice. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's not really saying, a choice. I'm talking with the rest of the people. His He had no real yeah. impact on what else was going on there, oh, other see. than just being in the way. Yeah, I guess the impact part. But we've yeah. definitely seen, like... Big periods of, you know, um, weakness when he's an elderly man in a bird cage under the master's, you know, rain. Or, you know, when when he's a scared little kid with monster Clara under his bed. Yeah, but that there, There's a lot of yet. ranges. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> any rate, that is the Hooven Review. Hope you Was liked our episode on Midnight. Next week, we'll be going on to Turn Left. And uh, I think that's a wrap. Everybody... See you later. Bye. Ciao. Adios.